Hey kids, this is Yoshi, and this episode of podcast is brought to you by Punk Apparel. Go to punk.co, that's punc.co, and enter promo code YOSHI, Y-O-S-H-I, in all caps, at the checkout for 15% off all items. Punk Apparel accepts all major currencies and offer free worldwide shipping. And the last thing I need to mention to you guys is that um, I've been doing this medical lab job literally as guinea pig, and I haven't got paid from one of the facility. And I'm really angry with them because every time they said they're going to call me back, they don't, and they have not paid me. It's been over 60 days, and they have a history of not paying people. So I really appreciate if you guys go to Yelp to complain. Uh, I also appreciate if you guys go to Business Consumer Alliance and complain about them. So the name of the facility is Stay Well Research, uh, which is located in 8... 18250 Roscoe Boulevard, room 240, Northridge, California. So the address is 18250 Roscoe Boulevard, room 240, Northridge, California. And their number is 866-407-0266. Call them, tell them to pay Yoshi, okay? I appreciate it if you could do that. Number is 866-407-0266. And the company name is Staywell Research. Um... I would appreciate you guys putting pressure on these guys because for five or six months, I literally went there and give them my shit, literally. And they haven't paid me back for my shit. So contact Business Consumer Alliance. And the owner of of the company's name, Jay Udani, J-A-Y space U-D-A-N-I. I don't know who the fuck he is. I don't know what his background. I know that a lot of the workers were speaking Russian, but give me my money and get the fuck out of Ukraine and give me my money, you scumbag, Jay. And that company code, the number that refers to company to complain, their code is 1000906956. So guys, complain to them, call them, uh, call them to complain about not paying me, 866-407-0266. All right, guys, thanks, and uh, see you guys soon. Bye. You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Welcome to the new episode of Yoshi Dan. I'm in, where's this, Ruben? Uh, We're in West L.A. West L.A. But it's like, I'm not going to give the location. It's like a a bat cave. Uh, I'm here with (laughs) a very funny comedian and very seasoned comedian. And um, Ruben Paul is a national headliner. but um, Worldwide headliner. Yeah, you really are. You're in the Middle East, (laughs) in in Asia, uh, Europe, and North America. South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. But you are, uh, uh, to me, you know, because I met you through, I think, Russell Peters, right? Yeah, yeah. that's our mutual buddy. So, uh, to me, uh, you are to uh, Russell the way Scottie Pippen was to Michael Jordan in the comedy world. You guys have made great team, you know. Yeah. I, I just love watching you guys perform together. And uh, you get those audience get going and uh, make Russell's job so easy, you know. And Well, that, I mean, thank you for saying that. That's, to me... I don't understand why some headliners have a weak opener. Yeah. Because maybe for their ego, maybe they want the guy in front of them to suck so bad. So by the time they get on stage, the audience is like, oh, thank you. Yeah. But to me, I, I think it's, it makes their job harder. 
because now you're pretty much doing two jobs. You're headlining. Thank God people came to see you. Sure. But at the same time, now you're headlining and and the warm up at the same time. That's why I like even when I headline, I take if you know I work with a lot of my buddies because I don't know a lot of quote unquote local openers, guys. Yeah. You know what I mean. So um, I try to work with strong comics as much as I can, and and hopefully when they work for me, the clubs will bring them back to headline on their own. Sure, and um, that's the case with Angelo Circus, who opens for Russell Chiu. Yes. I mean, for me, the two staple guys that, that, that like, not only are they funny comedians, but just honest guy who look after Russell, yeah. it's you and Angelo for sure. Yeah. Um, and um, um, I remember the year when Russell went second or third time to Australia, he brought Joe Coy. Yep. And you know, Joe Coy is a monster of a performer too. Yeah. Most performers, rather have some weak person open in front of mm -hmm. them but uh russell said he always want to have a strong act opening for him because it'll make him that much better you know absolutely yeah he's uh, he's always thinking about how can i make my shows better and give the audience a better show but challenging me too you know at, and, at the um, same time yeah um i i know a little bit about your background but uh, you know everybody has so much respect i want to give example if you're not familiar with ruben i, I was really moved when I saw you opening for Vegas and Chris Tucker was there yeah. and he told me uh, how funny you are. But not only that, um, you're very professional. You, you're not a needy guy. You know, there's like a lot of those guys with the famous yeah. act. That they, but but you, you were he was so happy to see you and you're professional. And that's the one thing I keep hearing. You're a funny guy and professional and very respectful of the people, um, the staff and obviously audience. You know, I, I know you're getting used to performing in front of 10,000 people. Yeah. Well, you know what it is, dude? Like, I was uh, mentored by some of the best, good and bad. Like, sometimes in this business, you can learn from anybody. You can learn from good comics. You can learn from shitty comics. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you watch and you pay attention. But one thing that I wanted to do always is, number one, I want to... I want to do a great job when I perform. That's sure. first and foremost. I want to have a good material and I want to give a good performance and you know have an overall great show. But also, I want to always be appreciative of the opportunity yeah. to perform, and 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 being professional on all all levels. So that means being on time, trying not to cancel gigs. Sure, you know unless I absolutely have to, because when people feel like. They can count on you. You'll start getting more work. Right. You know, I've been doing this almost 20 years, man. And I can, if I really sat down and think about it, I could probably count how many times I've ever had to cancel a show. And so people will go, hey, you know, this, he's not only is he a funny guy, he, he's guaranteed going to give you laughs, but he's going to show up. He's going to be there. He's going to be on time. He's not going to run the light. He's not sure. going to do all the things that, comedians are notorious for and then they don't understand why they can't get any work you know because they're not they it's not they don't have res not only do they not have respect for the craft they don't have respect for the booker or the club or the the staff or people who are putting it on now if you're a big star you can get away with that shit but you know if you're an up-and-coming guy you know you want people to like you on and off stage yeah or at least respect you I think, you know, I, I remember um, Chris Rock was talking about it one year, like things was not going well for him mm -hmm. and he was headlining and Martin Lawrence opened for him mm -hmm. and Martin just just killed the crowd. And he even uh, Rock said like he couldn't follow it. And yeah, it was, it, it was a really bad um, show. And 
I, I, I think um, I, I don't even know why I was <laughs> your dogs are great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why I was telling that example, but um, um, I know you're the guy always prepare, you know, I, I, I try to, man. And the funny story about Chris Tucker is I remember when Chris first moved to L.A. and I was uh, I was hosting the uh, amateur part of the show yeah. it was in black rooms at the time when I started at this particular room there there was a they'd have an amateur show before the main show with all the Dio Hughley and sure. Joe Torre and all those big Jimmy acts Fox, Jamie maybe, Fox yeah. all those guys and I would host the amateur show because I was like those guys are already stars when I first started I was new and um I had heard of Chris Tucker's name but I'd never met him it was like it was like this legend like hey man there's this dude named uh, Chris Tucker from Atlanta he's going to be coming to LA is that before he did Friday? Uh, right before he did okay. Fridays, yeah. And um, so I'll never forget. I was on stage. I was hosting the amateur hour. Oh, and the great thing about hosting the amateur show, you just bring guys up, and then at at the end of the amateur show, you'd get to do ten minutes, and then you'd bring up. I'd get to bring up Dio Hughley, the main host, the star I of the see. show, and then he would host all the heavy hitters. And it was, and these shows were like all headliners. You know what I mean, like. Headliners that we know today, but they were stars back then. Like Jamie was on in Living Color, you know, DL was big, Joe Torre was big, Ricky, all these guys who, who you know, who used to come down and do it. I mean, even Damon Wayans and those guys used to come down to the Comedy Act Theater or whatever. And I was like brand new and just happy to be around. So, long story short, I do my 10 minutes and I bring DL up or whoever the star yeah. MC was that night. And then I was walking off stage. And Chris Tucker comes up and he's like, hey, man, you're pretty funny. And I go, hey. He's like, my name is Chris Tucker. And I was like, oh, hey, man, I heard of you. You're from Atlanta. Yeah, man, I just moved here from Atlanta, man. And uh, I was like, cool. He's like, yeah, man, uh, you're pretty funny. I said, oh, thank you, dude. He's like, uh, uh, you got a car? And I said, yeah. He's like, can you give me a ride? <laughs> oh, is that how? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I think I, he even mentioned that. When, when, I used when, to pick uh, him up and yeah. take him around, man. I was happy to be around him. And so I, I was like, yeah, I can give you a ride. So we get in my car. And the Comedy Act Theater was in South Central, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm in the car. I said, uh, so where do you live? He was like, San Pedro. I said, San Pedro? That's a long <laughs> That's like 40 minutes away. But I drove him anyway and, and dropped him off and would pick him up and we just became, you know, friends. But he doesn't know how to drive, or he just didn't have a he car. He had just moved. He didn't I have see. a car. He had just moved to L.A. And like I said, he hadn't done Friday. He wasn't famous yet. You know what I mean? But he was like kind of known on the black comedy circuit. But when at you met him first, you must sense something special about him, right? Oh, the first time I saw him, I was like, yeah, that dude's gonna be a star. And and this is no knock uh, to Chris. It's not that I thought he was the most brilliant comedian I'd ever seen or anything like that, but you knew immediately that audiences liked him and it was it was his charisma his high this messed up man you know yeah. all that his voice and his he was so animated and there weren't there weren't too many guys i had never seen anybody like him before and that's one of the things that i think in comedy that you want to be unique sure whether it's god given or whether you develop that in your act um that is a, a good recipe of being successful is is you know finding out what makes you different from everybody else because i met him in uh, aspen comedy festival when i was like visiting russell and jim norton like, i don't know like eight years ago uh -huh. and i met him through russell and 
He was a very friendly, sweet guy. It seems like he, am, am I safe to say, like he probably came from a very happy family background? I think so. I think so. One thing that we had in common was uh, his mom, I believe, was, uh, was a preacher. And both my parents, rest in peace, were uh, missionaries. So I, we both grew up like very religious sure. households and, you know, Christian church and the home. So we had that yeah. in common. We used to talk about that aspect, you know. And uh, just especially when you're doing comedy and, 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 you know, there's a part of you that goes, am I embarrassing my family? Am sure. I doing? But you always got to find your own uh, route. And I, I remember hearing the story of Sinbad, um, why he's so squeaky clean. And it's because his father was a Baptist preacher and he didn't want to embarrass his father. I see. So that's why, I mean, I hope I'm not putting this bit. I mean, he cusses off stage. Sure. But on stage, he just wanted to represent his family how he wanted to represent them. My parents, you know, even though they're not alive, I think is they just want me to be myself, whatever. Yeah. That is. They would want me to be myself. And that's why I'm myself. You know, I'm I'm not a dirty comedian, but... I do use profanity. I I'm I want to talk on stage how I talk in sure real life, you know. Um, so you, so you're one of the few rare people that actually born in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, my parents are from Haiti, as I talk about in my act. Um, do you but, speak French? Yeah, a little okay. bit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I have no one to practice with, so. But so, I understand it pretty fluently. But they spoke French in Creole, which is Creole is the French slang. So. So they were born in Haiti, and they they, they they came to America. These white missionaries brought my parents to America, and I was born in America. My brother and sister were born in Haiti, so they came to America together. I think in the in the sixties. Sure. And then um, why did they pick Los Angeles? Uh, I think that's where the missionaries lived. I see. Yeah. So. Um, were, they, were they Catholic or uh, Christian? Okay. Yeah. Protestant. Okay. Yeah, like a uh, Pentecostal. I see. You know, Christian. Um, when you had a chance, to, did, did your parents tell you what was their experience coming here? Because oh. you know how black Americans sometimes sense they're, they're the difference between people from Caribbean and, and Africa. Yeah. So did they face, I, I know they face prejudice from white people back yeah. in those days, but did they get a little weirdness from African American or, or no problem? Um, you know what? I did. You did? I did. From, you know, because I, I grew up in the hood, so... And my family, like I talk about in my act, my family was the only immigrant family in my whole neighborhood. So I got made fun of a lot because my family because was... Because usually in, in black neighborhood these days, it's probably Asian or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? If if they're... But but my neighborhood was literally all black, yeah. you know, in Delama where I grew up. It was, all, it was all black people. So, and it was regular African-American. Sure. You know what I mean? And then here you have, you know, a, they didn't know until they heard my parents speak or until they came over and saw we ate different food than everybody yeah. else. You know, everybody else is eating, you know, the stereo, you know, fried chicken, mac and cheese, collard greens, yams, yeah. you know, water, you know, well, we ate watermelon too, but, um, you know, the t what people would consider stereotypical soul food or whatever, where we'd have fried bananas and rice and beans and, Legume but young kids, when they look at you, they couldn't tell you're immigrant, right? They it's, couldn't tell. Yeah, and that's why when they started discovering things like, man, why your why why your family talk so funny? And and I, I tell the story in my act. Um, the first time my friends saw fried bananas, it was like, what what the fuck is this? 
And, you know, I'm a kid, and I yeah. ate that all the time. I'm like, fried bananas, and that blew their mind. But if I would have grew up on the East Coast, let's just say New York or Miami, people are familiar oh, sure. with different cultures. And that's what makes me, I think, there are, there are other Haitian comedians, but I think what makes me different is I'm from L.A., and I didn't grow up around any other Haitians. Got it. So that's why my Haitian material, and there's no knock on any of those other guys because I'm sure they have great stuff. My Haitian material is so different because – my, it comes from being an outcast where they had communities and there were probably Haitian restaurants that they can go to and other Haitian friends and people that they can feel like unity and camaraderie with where pretty much I adopted the African-American upbringing. When I first started doing stand-up, I tried to talk about being from Haiti and he used to bomb and I wasn't smart enough or good enough to really tell my story on that level so I kind of turned that part off in my act so I used to just talk about my my black experiences mm -hmm. as a, a black man as is and everybody thought I was just African-American but I told those same stories and it was a you know it was my truth original truth but it wasn't the whole truth and it wasn't until you know I would meet like like when I met Russell, but even before Russell, Johnny Sanchez, another very funny comic, would go, when he found out I was my family's from Haiti, he was like, dude. You need how, to talk about that. How come you don't talk about that? Yeah. And I go, well, people in California, they don't know what Haitians are. And, you know, when I tried to do it, he was like, dude, you got to talk about that. You know, you've been doing it long enough. I'm sure you can figure it out. And then Godfrey, who's Nigerian, you right. know, comic from New York, sure. Godfrey. Shout out to Godfrey, my boy. Godfrey's like, yo, man. You need to talk about that, son. You need to you need to you need to talk about being Haitian, man. And then and then Russell was like, yo, man, you how can you not talk about that? Like that makes you different than everybody else. And the fact that you were from LA and like so I began to, you know, go back and, and really think about it and, and, and figure out what my real story is. So comedically, dude, to be honest with you. I feel like I've been funny for a long time, but I think at this point in my career, I'm very clear of who I am and what I rep represent and what I want to represent right. and what my story is and what my point of view is. And, um, you know, things have been going well. So, Have you, have you been to Haiti? No, but mm -hmm. I just got an email. I mean, not an email, a text message from this uh, French comedian named Eddie King, who I met when I just did Montreal this past year. And uh, he just sent me a text. He was like, yo, I'm trying to hook you up on this gig to go to Haiti because he's performed in Haiti. And I know some other comics have gone to Haiti. I got offered one gig maybe a year and a half ago to go perform in Haiti to do this thing called Stand Up for Haiti to raise money. Um, but, but, but I was on tour and I wasn't able to do it. Is that do you have to do it in French or in English? Just okay. you, could do, you could do it in English. Okay. Yeah, you could do it in English. And to be honest, I'm a... Um, I'm excited to go to see where my family's from because I've never been there. Do you still have families over there? Um, yeah. I, I, I just found out recently I had family over there. Because, um, you know, my family never really talked about our history because mm -hmm. I know my parents were orphans growing up. Oh, is that right? But they kept the brothers and sisters together. Yeah. So, but there's a lot about my family I just didn't know. And I met my uncle for the first time when I went to Montreal. He lives in Montreal my dad's brother, and I saw my um, my aunt for the second time in my entire life. And I met the first time I met my, my dad's sister was at my dad's funeral. And looks just like my dad with a wig on. So 
she's been filling in some of the gaps that my parents would never talk about. And I asked my cousin, I was like, yo, I have so many questions and, you know, mom and dad would never, you know, really go into it. And, you know, my cousin gave me a whole new perspective. He was like, you know what, Rube? He was like, your parents had a hard life. So they probably wanted to forget most of it and not right. really want to talk about it. So um, I'm excited to go to Haiti just to kind of see sure. whatever family I may have there. And then also just to, you know, just to perform there. But I am a little nervous because, again, I'm, you know, I'm I'm not the Haitian that's from Miami. I'm not the Haitian that's from New York. You know, I'm a little bit, um, I'm, Amer- I'm probably more so Americanized. Oh than, sure. Then you know most Haitians are, but my story is my story. So you know you, because is. you know Kevin Shea, right? The yes, Asian comedian. Yeah. Okay. Granted, um, biologically he looks one of them in Korea. Yeah. But it doesn't take that long. They could tell right away. There's something not odd, but yeah, just it's different like, from uh, like you haven't been around Koreans yeah. at all. Yeah. Because <laughs> what he grew up, Kevin. Uh, Kevin was adopted by a white family in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pittsburgh or something. Yeah, like so that. the only thing Asian about him is his face. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's nothing remotely Asian about him yeah. because first time I saw him, I thought he's Asian version Ron White. Yeah, he's dr- drunk on stage, very funny, but yeah, yeah direct, no bullshit, funny guy. Yeah, and, I like him. I like, um, I like him. So uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to answer this because it, I kind of heard you know whisper here and there, and like you know when I kind of heard it. You know, maybe kind of sad, but uh, so what? What happened? To you uh, was there some kind of accident that what happened to your parents? Oh yeah, my parents they uh, they died in a car accident. Um, they were they were driving because they um, once I went to college and everything, mm-hmm. they moved to Miami to be, and you know they when you really think about it, when I think back now and just even like all the all the material that I've been writing lately. It must have been tough on my parents sure. to live in Los Angeles. So my father, once you know, I got old enough because I was the baby, and my brother and sister are like uh, what eleven and twelve years older than me. Um, so once once I was old enough, my parent, my dad was like, "I'm out of here." Like he wanted to be around Haitians, so he moved to Miami. I so, I could kind of understand that because there's something about living in a neighborhood where people who look like you, but just any sort of like a reference and the food and the smell and yeah. like manner, you know, all those things makes you feel at home. Yeah. And, and see California is home for me. So even when I went to go visit them in, in, in Miami, Miami never felt, even though I was around all a bunch of Haitians and never felt like home to me because I grew up around all African Americans and sure. those were my friends. And, and even my mom to make me feel more comfortable kind of assimilated a little bit for me so she'd make fried chicken she'd make macaroni and cheese yeah. she made so i could you know maybe it was part of them assimilating sure. with, with their friends but it, it did make it easier on me but going to uh but but they moved to miami and then um they had taken a road trip to to a church in north carolina and um they were killed in a car accident coming back actually my dad died on the scene and my mom died uh two and a half weeks later jesus i'm sorry to hear that yeah um, it was it was a rough time man and um it, what, what, it was it like the, the, what, what what i mean i don't know maybe i'm just curious like what was there a mechanical problem with the car no they got hit by a truck uh 18 wheeler oh god yeah 
Yeah, they got hit by a truck. And that ch- that right there, dude, when I was thinking I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, like, because some people, I think, wonder about me. They go, wow, Ruben, you're a funny guy. You've been doing this. Like, why aren't you more famous? Or, you know, whatever questions people might have. But, you know, when I lost my parents, you know, like sometimes you can be functionally depressed sure. and not know you're depressed. But I know one thing that that did was during that time, um, it made me want to cut all the fake people out of my life. Yeah. And sometimes I can be introverted. So one thing I started doing was, is, you know, people who I just got rid of people that I didn't want to be around, including industry people. But then you wake up one morning and you're all alone and you don't have an agent, you don't yeah. have a manager. And I was still working because thank God I was good enough and enough people knew me where I could make a living. Then, you know, I had this attitude like, man, fuck Hollywood. I don't need them. I could still work and, you know, do TV and do these things without having all that. And that might work for a certain amount of time. But after a while, you do need a manager or an agent or even both. You need people out there working for you, soliciting and keeping you relevant. Sure. And I didn't even realize that I kind of had disappeared from Hollywood because, you know, I had done TV and movies and stuff like that where I was developing a career. And then when my parents passed, it kind of like just shifted everything in my life and in my career. You know, so it's kind of hard to um, concentrate on career. Yeah. You know, because losing parents are like, it's so devastating. And day. then I was, you know, and then being close to them. It's not like I wasn't close to my family. Yeah. I mean, it was a devastating thing. Now, I'm a, I'm a generally upbeat, happy guy. But part of, I guess, my mourning process is I kind of ostracize myself a little bit from the industry. Yeah. You know, where. Were you, were you worried what people ha- have to say? Because it's, it's awkward, like. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, well, what could they possibly say to make you feel better? You know what yeah, I mean? It's, it's not much people can say, yeah. man. And, you know, I think for me more so, it was, um, I don't know, it was just that feeling of, I just, I don't know. I just wanted to be around good people. Sure. And there's not a lot of good people in this business. There are good people in this business, but, you know, this business can be cutthroat and opportunistic and people use you. And I just, I'm not that way. You know what I mean? Like I want to see everybody win. Well, that's why I, I, see I that's why I know succeed. why you're friend with Russell Pe- Russell Peters. You yeah, because he's he. You know, a lot of people say like, if I have when I make my million or win the lottery, take a million. Yeah, I'm going to turn around and use the money to help people. Yeah, a lot of people actually really don't do that. You know, but absolutely. Um, Russell, with that, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, the guy kept every promise he has made. Yeah, and quite often he go out of the way to make sure you're you're doing okay without even ask. You yeah, because I think he remember. He remembers what it's like to be broke. He yeah. remembers what it's like to struggle. And uh, that's why me and Russell are, are so close. Because I think, man, I'm the type of person that sometimes I had somebody tell me, he's like, dude, help yourself before you try to help me. And I'm like, I don't believe in that. I believe if I can do something to help somebody, I'm going to do it. It doesn't. It's not hard for me to pick up a phone call and call somebody. Now, I can't make a club book you. Yeah. I can't make somebody give you a job. But it doesn't hurt for me to give a reference or sure. to make a call or if I get an opportunity to go, hey, you know who else is funny? Are you are you looking for an Asian guy? You, I, I have a buddy named Yoshi. You, I think you know what I mean. I'm that type of person who does that, and a lot of people only care about themselves in this business. And I think that's what frustrated me is being around those types of people. And it took me a while to learn that lesson. And now I'm realizing that 
I don't have to be friends with those people, but at the same time, I don't have to separate myself from those people too. You right. can still work for, with people who are not good people. You don't have to be best friends with everybody or, you know what I mean? Like you can still work and still, um, how, how, what am I trying to say? You can, you can, you can still work in this industry. Taking care of yourself, but you don't have to shit on other people. Exactly. You, you can actually go out of your way to help your friends. Yeah. Um, and, and remain the person you are. Like you don't, like I don't have to change who I am to be able to be successful in this business and still be actively in, in it. For some reason, man, I went through this period of time where I thought to remain a good person and remain myself, I needed to stay away from, you know, phony people or fake people. But yeah. if I stayed away from phony and fake people, I wouldn't be in the entertainment business, you know? Yeah. So now I know how to do, I don't take it personal when people lie to me. I don't take it personal when people break promises. I don't take it personal when somebody says they're going to do something and they don't do it. I don't, before I used to take, I went through a period of time where I took it personal and then a, a mentor of mine who's actually a great filmmaker, he does documentaries, his name is Chan Berry, he called me up one time. He goes, man, what's what's up with you? I'm like, oh, nothing, I'm good, man. He was like, you know what, man? He goes, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but he was like, I think you should be further in your career than what you are. He was like, no, everybody has nothing but good things to say about you. Sure. And he goes, you seem to isolate yourself. He was like, you, you know, no one ever sees you, but when your name comes up, people have have positive things to say and he goes I understand that you don't like people and you don't like being around certain types of people he goes but if you're going to ostracize yourself from that you're in the wrong business yeah and he goes you just got to make a choice man he goes you don't have to become like them but just don't take it personal and keep moving and keep doing the things that you want to do to get into the position to be an example to those people like to me Russell is an example to people on how you should treat your friends, how you should treat other people. And he's not the only one. Kevin Hart is great to his crew and the people in him. Like I, my goal is not only to be a successful comedian, writer and actor, but I want to bring up other people underneath me. I want to be like in sports, yeah. like where people come from coaching trees, like Bill Parcells had, you know, Tom, uh, Tom Coughlin and Belichick sure. and Mangini and all those guys came from Bill Parcells and then well fuck Mangini but yeah, go ahead yeah. <laughs> and then you know Tony Dungy has Lovey Smith and yeah. and um what's the other guy uh Caldwell and all these guys who came up under him and I think that says a lot about somebody when not only when you make it the people under you can make it I'm glad you made that example, and I think you're one of the few people uh, I could talk to you about. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I respect City of Boston. They have a great sports tradition. Oh, my God. Don't um, get me started on <laughs> They have a great uh, sports tradition. And believe me, I f I'm not even a Raiders fan. I feel bad for Raiders that game 13, yeah. whatever years ago, playing the Patriots. Uh, but Tuck rule, man, um, which was a horrible call. I have a lot of respect for uh, Bill Belichick, you know, winning three Super Bowl in what, four years or whatnot. You know, it's a huge accomplishment. But I had argument with my friend Marty who lives in Boston. Yeah. I still, if I have a choice, I still rather be like Tony Dungy because, yes, he had one Super Bowl, but I, I really love the guy. I have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, it, this is not a popular thing to say because everybody, all they want to do is just win. But... I don't know. Maybe I am getting a little grouchy, old guy. But 
you know, with that whole, whole thing with uh, those of you, if you don't follow NFL football, you know, Aaron Hernandez with the whole murder case yeah. and stuff like that. It's just like, um, I I got the feeling that Tony Junji probably saw red flag right away, you know, yeah. and um, it's corny, but I think the character stuff does kind of matters, you know, and I, I think to a point, yeah, you know. I think character matters. But if you really want to, if you really want to talk about something and i know a lot of patriot fans get get upset let me tell you i have a lot of friends from boston and i'm a laker fan so we talk shit to each other all the time and it's in fun and everything but my problem with belichick is this do i think he's a brilliant coach absolutely Absolutely. is he one of the best coaches of all time Absolutely. absolutely but there's no you can't get around the spygate man yeah he let me tell you the patriots were the most dominant undominant team in NFL history. When I mean that, I think every Super Bowl they won, they won by three points or less. Yeah. Now, if Bill Belichick is so meticulous, he's, he has attention to detail and all these things that you we, you know, praise him for and respect him for and just how he's so thorough and does this, he was recording other teams for a reason. It gave him an unfair advantage. And some of the Rams said that they plays that they hadn't even ran they felt that the other team knew that they were running and you know to, to be fair i i don't think he needed that information to be still competitive but he that's had the, to have, but he had to have man but but this like almost like a pathological need to take every possible you know but we'll never know we'll ne- we know we'll never know because he did do it he yeah. did get caught and here's the thing this is what no one wants to say wants to admit the NFL destroyed the tapes, tapes yeah. so no one could see them. Yeah. We've even seen Ray Rice uh, smack his girl in the elevator, but we have not seen what – and they got fined a million dollars, the biggest fine in NFL history. So the NFL, what happens, if, if we want to all use common sense, they saw that shit and said, we cannot let anybody see that because that would destroy the integrity of the game. We yeah. cannot let these tapes get out. Yeah, it's it's uh, and they also lost a bunch of like uh, first round or second round pick. I don't know. They they took picks they, away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, cause cause it, let me tell you, man. And and here's the thing, in that Super Bowl, they won on a last second field goal, so that could have been the difference from a ring. From what you know, hey man, I'm just calling it like I see it. I know Patriot fans. If there's any Patriot fans listen, they're probably pissed, but. I would say that about anybody, even if, even if it was the Raiders or the Lakers, anybody yeah. who I felt got caught doing something, we will never know because we never saw. I, I, I feel bad for Tom Brady because I know he. I, I have a hard time believing he has anything to do with that. No, but here's the thing: the he's players, a killer competi- uh, competitor. Yeah, much respect. People talk a lot of shit about him this year, saying he's old. Look at last five weeks. You know, he's been he's, killing people. He's dope, man. <clears throat> and I don't think the the players need need to be in on it. Yeah. Like, I don't think the players cheated. No. You know, I think you get the information, then you know what information is like having the answers to the test. I, I, I could I could steal the answers to the <clears throat> test and give them to you. You don't know or you don't know if I know them. Or if I just sure. gave them to you, you don't but, know. But, but I'll also be fair with the Boston fan because if I'm from Boston, obviously I have a di- <laughs> I'm definitely going to have a different attitude about it. Of course, it. of course. Um, and I and of course, I'm Boston fans don't get all upset. But uh, I'm, no, I, I'm, I'm I, LA, so of course I'm going to needle you that, guys about it. You know, it. Well, the first time, the first time, actually, first time I went to Boston was actually on the Super Bowl uh, Sunday when 
New England were playing Giants for the first time. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to all the uh, friends of mine in Boston, I had a New York Giant t-shirt underneath my uh, t-shirt and a jacket because uh-huh. I, you know, but I didn't. I didn't think the Giants gonna win. I really thought New England just gonna just gonna kill them, you know. Yeah. But but the, that city, I, I I tell you, they that how much they love their sports team. They it, love, very, and that's what I love about them. They love their teams. They love their Red Sox. They love their Celtics, and they Bruins, love their Patriots yeah. and their Bruins. Man, they are diehard fans, and I do respect their passion. And they're very knowledgeable fans. Too. Oh yeah, one of um. One thing that made me laugh is when uh, the Lakers w- was playing uh, the Celtics in the finals. Yeah, this, this just made me laugh. Well, are we talking about in 2008 or like we're we talking about 80s games? Uh, I think 2008. Okay, okay. And um, when Lamar Odom was on the team. Yeah. And then they were chanting something. I was like, what the hell are they chanting? And then I, I turned up the sound and they were going, ugly sister. Oh. <laughs> ugly sister. Talking about. Uh, Chloe Kardashian, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they were heckling Lamar Odom. I was like, that is hilarious. I even had to laugh at that. As and, and, and great as Michael Jordan was in 90s, I still say the greatest time I had watching NBA was in the 80s when the Celtics were playing the Lakers. Uh, Lakers. Yeah, man, man, it's... I grew up on that, you know? I grew up on that. That's why when I... When I uh, I was here between 85 to 90. I went to Torrance High and El Camino Community oh, College. Oh, you went to Elko? yeah. I went to Elko. So it's it's funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. You the, know, the, the, the first summer that I went to school, I met O.J. Simpson there because he was filming something for HBO, like some kind of sports show. Oh, yeah. that's They used to shoot um, not First and Ten. Something like that. Yeah. But, man, I shook his hand. I couldn't believe how big his, his hands were. And when I heard that he might have been the murderer, I just thought, there, no, you can't survive that hand. He's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you could say whatever you want to say, O.J., but when he ran for USC, man, that guy. Oh, he's one of the best ever. I mean, 2,000 yard one season, he, he was a tank, you know. But you know, it was interesting, like going back to what you said about character and, and Hernandez. Isn't it funny what OJ Simpson, undoubtedly, who in the Hall of Fame and broke all the records? Yeah. No doubt one of the best running backs ever in the history of professional football, in the history of football. Even uh, high school and college, he was uh, sure. unbelievable. Um, but what he was accused of doing has destroyed his whole career, and nobody thinks of him as a football player anymore. In fact, a lot of young people didn't even know he was a football player because of the— How you know, crazy is that? You know, all those—remember, uh, what, what rental company commercial was it? Man, it just shows how old we are. But Hertz. Hertz, yeah. yeah. I, used to, I used to love watching that. And um, was it Airplane? It was, the Airplane yeah. movies, yeah. So yeah. I forget, but, you know, if, you, if you're old enough, man— he used to murder those guys, those defensive line. Yeah, he just ran over people. He was awesome, man. And he was, he was so almost fast. like a, like a, uh, like Jim Brown style of running back. He wanted to run over people. But he was he, he had speed though, man. Yeah, and that's one thing he was known for. You know, the juice, man. He he had that breakaway speed, and yeah, man. Um, you know, he was a little obviously. I was a kid, so I knew who he was. Yeah. Um, when I really started understanding and loving football was more like in the mid eighties when, you know, Eric Dickerson and Tony Dorsett, like those were guys, you know, I was growing up that I used to idolize, but I've, as long as I could remember and my, my, my folks weren't into sports. Sports was kind of like my escape, you know, sports and comedy. So I, when I was a kid, man, that's, I used to just be in front of the TV and used to just watch football and, 
in basketball and baseball, and I fell in love with sports and, and, and played all through and high school and, and college. And if you're a sports fan, L- L.A. was a good time, good place to be in the 80s with Lakers. Dodgers yeah. won in 88. Yeah, the you, Raiders. Raiders, yeah. yeah. And um, um, I, it still makes me sad because I used to live in Seattle when I watch. Why am I forgetting him? Oh, is that why you like the Seahawks? I didn't know you used to live in Seattle. Yeah, I went back and forth. You know, I lived in Washington State between 80 to 85. Then I moved to uh, California, 85 to 90. Then uh-huh. I went down uh, up when I went up uh, 90 through 2003. So I, w- I go back and forth, you know. I mean, I, I, I have to say I was a Sonics fan, and when they took that team away, you know, it made me sad. But Seattle will get a team. They'll get another team. But it, but I, I can't help it. When I was in high school, you know, that's all I did, watch Lakers, you know. Yeah. and. Um, because Jerry Buss used to go to porn convention all the time, I, <laughs> I used to see him all the time. He was really nice. You know, I, I like the fact that he was so accessible. He's always had like a really hot young girl with him, yeah, you know. Yeah. But the thing that I want to let people know about Jerry Buss is like, yes, he liked having a good time, but he was a smart businessman. Very he was a supporter so. of his uh, 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 coaching staff and the players, man, because I, I don't know how to explain it. The Lakers in the 80s was unbelievable. Well, that's why the Lakers are struggling now, because he's gone. You know, uh, what's the line they go? They go, uh, Jim Buss ain't Jerry Buss. Yeah. You know? And, well, uh, well, well, Oakland Raiders are having a similar problem with, uh, you know, is it? Uh, Mark Davis. Son. Yeah, but Mark one thing, but I, I have hope with Mark, because unlike Jim, Mark uh, listens to people around him. Is McKenzie's the GM? Yeah, uh, McKenzie's yeah. the GM for however much longer. I don't know how much longer he's going to last, but um, Mark at least Listen. knew, listens and knows, okay, I can't run this team like my father ran this team. And Al Davis, let me just say this. Al Davis, people like would try to act like he's a joke, but you know, Al Davis is one of the pioneers of NFL. NFL. You know, then he's one of the reasons why there's an NFL. And he, he helped uh, uh, combine the two different leagues yeah. with the commissioner. Uh, 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 Rose, was Roselle. it Roselle? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was he used to coach and Bill Walsh. Very successful. Very yeah. successful coach. And Bill Walsh, no, he is. So he's Al Davis ain't like some Jerry Jones guy who just, you know, is a fan of football. And this like Al knew and understood the game. The problem was when the game started changing. He didn't change. With he the didn't game. change. He And that's when. The Raiders started going down. He kept. He always going for the, the vertical fastest game. guy, yeah. man. And that's that doesn't work. Like you need to build. Like the league has changed. Athletes have changed. You need to adjust. So the good thing with Mark Davis is, he understands that his father's way of thinking, football was outdated. But when it comes to the love of the game and the marketing of the game, and really moving the game forward, Al Davis was one of the best ever and should be respected. He's not some dummy. People try to act like he didn't know anything. Like, he's a pioneer of NFL football. Sure, he brought a lot of innovation. And, um, yes. Um, you know, like 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 going back to um, New England Patriots, they got lucky, too. Okay, don't tell me you knew how Tom Brady's going to play. No. Because why would you pick a 199th pick? You know Tom, what I mean? Here's so, the thing. If Bledsoe wouldn't have got hurt that year, we probably would never would have seen Tom Brady, or who knows when we would have ever seen Tom. Because Brady. Because there is such a thing as a momentum. Because you know, uh, if, if Raiders would have won that game and um, New England didn't go to Super Bowl, you never know what's the fortune. Maybe um, you know John Gruden, the head coach for Raiders at the time, might have won Super Bowl. Maybe he would have had a better relation with, uh, you know, Al Davis. So you know, it's just, it's it's sports. 
that's why in sports sometimes you see shitty teams beat the best team yeah. because really there's a lot of talent sometimes the difference is not that much you know mm-hmm. yeah um, um oh you got you no go? no no go ahead so uh can you imagine uh, i was there uh nfl draft three years ago when they uh, drafted andrew Locke first and our rpg and uh, um number two pick but can you imagine if oakland raider made a good decision of uh drafting like somebody like russell wilson I, i'm glad they didn't do it but yeah man he would have been you know he would have been great for Oakland, you know, just... Uh, he would have been great, but I will say this. I'm happy with Carr. I think Carr is going to be a star. The problem is Raiders have no receivers, no disrespect to the receivers there. They don't have a true number one receiver. Mm-hmm. And when you have a great quarterback, either you have to get fortunate where uh, somebody develops into a number one receiver, sure. or you draft a, a number one receiver, or somebody comes over in free agency. And... You know, he doesn't really. He, we have a lot of number two and three receivers. It's not that they're not talent, but we don't have that dominant guy. We don't have that. You know, uh, um, every like Nelson from Green Bay, or we don't have uh, um, uh, uh, like you know Peyton Manning has you know real dominant yeah. receivers, and even uh, now in New York, the Giants have uh, that rookie, the rookie man who's who's a beast you know well he was like, fucking scaring me yesterday with seahawk you know? i know yeah, man yeah. he was balling and then you know <laughs> we drafted haywood bay when we could have drafted either crabtree or hakeem Niggs yeah. or deshaun jackson i mean there was a lot of people but al davis wanted haywood bay because he ran the fastest time at the combine he was fastest and he was also wasn't he one of the biggest guy too and it's just like but he couldn't catch yeah he doesn't have good hands you know yeah that's uh, so it's I don't know, but I think we're headed in the right direction. You know, we just they we'll have to be happens. patient and they have to go through camp. They have to uh, draft really well, mm-hmm. and then uh, the, the the fans have to be uh, patient. But I mean, you know, maybe this is a boring conversation if you're <laughs> if you're listening overseas. But you know, what's the chance Oakland Raiders actually moving to L.A.? Do you, you think that's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. There's rumors that there might happen, and somebody said, you know. Uh, he's using it for leverage to get a new stadium built in the Bay Area. But I don't know. I don't, you know, I just want this. I don't care where they are. I would love to have a team in L.A. And that will be a choice. If the Raiders don't come to L.A. and L.A. gets another team, I'm the type of guy that likes to root for the hometown team. Sure. So whatever team comes to L.A. is eventually going to be my team anyway. I, I just feel like, man, it's really – L.A. really is for Raiders. I don't know. I'm biased. I yeah. just remember – Something about Raiders in LA. Well, they won a championship in Marcus Allen. You know yeah. what I mean? The the Super Bowl, you know, uh, when he cut back and against the Redskins, and sure. ran, you know, the famous highlight of that. So those are like my childhood memories of the Raiders, and that's why I adopted the Raiders as my team. Because when I first first started getting into football, I was a Cowboy fan because Cowboys were the they were on TV every week. You know, as a kid, you yeah. know, America's so, team, America's sure. team. You know what I mean? So you always saw them. And then as I got older, I was like, why am I rooting for the Cowboys? They're in Texas. I'm going to root for the hometown team. So that's why now I. Why did you pick uh, Raiders over Rams? Because Rams are in L.A. too. I don't know. Rams just seem gay to me. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just never was a real Rams fan. Like I wanted to see them do it, but Raiders kind of represented. Yeah. I don't know, man. There's a cool documentary. Ice Cube did a documentary it's on the Raiders. It's hip-hop in connection with the Oakland yeah, Raiders, and that's, 30 and for 30. Yeah. yeah. So that's 
probably why I identified more with the Raiders. They seem like they 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 like black people. And and <laughs> Al Davis want to simulate the success and greatness of New York Yankees. You know, yeah. the whole black and white. So that's black and silver. And uh, he, I think he's from East Coast too. And um, the connection with the music, you know, people in South Central LA identify with that color and you know that toughness. Yeah, and, man, Raiders. And, and you got to say, Raiders had that reputation on the field of no nonsense and physical team and just beating people up on the field. That that really, I think, connected to the inner city and LA and just you know what I mean. Yeah. Like they were a tough team. I mean, when Raiders used to, you know, when their bus will arrive at the, uh, you know, the team, whichever team they're visiting, they used to put fear into those teams. Yeah. You know, seriously, the people have no, you know, the Miami Hurricanes used to do that in college. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. The, the, Back in the, the day. The U. But, man, Oakland Raiders. I, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. When I lived in Seattle, I hated them because they always come in and just cause so much problems. Yeah, because Seattle used to be in the division with the Raiders. Yeah. Remember? We used to be in the, what was that, AFC West. Yeah, and they, before Seattle moved to the NFC, yeah. But I always had a like soft spot sometimes when I think about it because they're they're the most uh, racially uh, open-minded team, you know. Oh yeah, he, Al Davis hired the first black coach. Yeah, and you had a uh, you also had a Mexican coach. Uh, yeah, why am I, why am I, Tom uh, Flores. Yeah, yeah, and and, and uh, you know I, I like the fact that these are I like because I'm in that same category. You know, I didn't grow grow up with both. Jim like Plunkett. Jim Plunkett yes. as a quarterback. You know, but these guys are like have problems other places. They're given the second chance. Yeah, and I think a lot of minorities are always looking for a second, second chance. Yeah, and and that that's why like you gotta love Al Davis on so many levels because yeah. not only what he did for the NFL, but just socially in society. He was you know, Jewish. Diversity. Yeah, you know, I'm sure other white Protestant people probably didn't like him at the time. Yeah, so he really opened up a lot of doors and gave people opportunities, you know, uh, and and really um, was a champion for civil rights and equal rights and all those sure. things, man. So, uh, you know, he's a special man, and I just hate when you hear people try to make it seem like, some, especially some Raider fans, like, oh, I don't know what he's doing. It was like, dude, read, Google him, you know, check out a history, a history book, you know, damn dogs. Stop it. So, <laughs> Um, let's go uh, back to comedy. So when you when you start doing, um, when did you start thinking about going? Uh, you know, starting comedy and stuff. Uh, you know. I was well, man. I had always wanted to. I had always wanted to, to do stand up, um, because I'm never. I'm, I'm. I remember watching Eddie Murphy Delirious. Yeah. I remember my parents went to church. <laughs> and we okay. had cable, and I and they let me stay home. It was a Sunday night, I think it was a Sunday night, and I turned to HBO, and I, I can't even remember how old I was, but I remember laughing so hard I had tears in my eyes. And at that moment, I was like, man, I wish I could make somebody feel how he's making me feel right now. Like my stomach was hurting, I was laughing yeah. so hard, and that was like the seed. But when I stopped playing football in college and I was a theater major and everything, um, I had gotten hurt. That's why I had left Long Beach and went to um, El Camino. Um, that's why I was there briefly. Wait, when did you go to El Camino Community College? When? Oh, shit. 90. I got to remember, 90. 
Okay, I just I missed you. I was there '88 to '90. Then I have to move back to Washington State. Uh, yeah, we just missed each other. And I missed uh um. <laughs> I missed what's his but name? But they were good when you were there. That's yeah. When, uh, uh, Featherstone. I I was I missed what's his name from Death Row Record. Um, uh, Suge. He went to El Camino. Yeah, he I heard he went to El Camino. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that. Um, yeah. So basically. I made the decision to go after my dreams once. But see, I never wanted to play pro football. Like everybody, I was I was a pretty good football player, but everybody I what grew up with. What position did you play? What? I played safety and corner. Okay. So everybody I grew up with, like, that was their dream to go sure. to the NFL. And they were that talented. Where I just, I just enjoyed the game. But I always knew I wanted to be uh, a comedian and an actor. I always knew that's what I wanted to do. So yeah. once... Uh, my football. Once I knew my football playing days were over, um, that's when I went for stand-up comedy. And um, when I first started doing comedy, all I did was black rooms. And then it wasn't until D.L. Hughley. I always tell the stories. Actually, uh, quoted in a book. Um, I noticed like some other comics. Only a couple of other sure. comics were doing like the Comedy Store and the Improv and the Laugh Factory, and then, you know, I would ask him questions. i go, so what is it like, you know? And he was like, yo, man, you should come do it. And then D.L. was like, you don't work them, you know, white rooms? I was like, nah, man. He's like, why not? I was like, <laughs> I said, man, I, I don't know if they'll get me. Yeah. He's like, nigga, we barely get you. <laughs> <laughs> so that made me laugh. And he was like, nah, man. He was like, dude, your comedy would translate anywhere. Because I think one thing about me, even early on, you know, even though I was doing all black rooms, I think the way that I wrote, I wrote universal just because of the, my upbringing. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you guys, you got to understand. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's hard to be super filthy when both of your parents are like religious, right? I yeah, mean, not only not only being religious, but the fact they were brought to America by white missionaries. Uh, so the only grandparents that i knew were the missionaries you know and my sister was named after one of the white missionaries so my comedy wasn't like white people are stupid yeah. you know you know black black people you know I, not that i didn't do you know that hacky shit back then like bl black people and white people and all that stuff but my material about white people didn't come from a angry place or a negative place or even when I talked about race because you know my 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 mom and dad used to go preach at Spanish churches so I was around a lot of Mexicans and Were I they speaking Spanish? Yeah, my mom oh, wow. spoke my my mom my dad preached in French and my mom translated in Spanish. Is that right? Yeah, dude. It's crazy to see. So my mom spoke three languages where my dad only spoke uh, French and barely English. Mm -hmm. So he used to preach in Creole or French, and then my mom would translate it to whatever audience. So you you have to uh, you spoke French to your dad then? Yeah, more English, you know, because he he'd practice with me. But yeah, I understood what he what he said. Like he'd talk to me in, in French, and I'd answer him in English, like probably how most immigrant kids are in yeah. America today when, when their parents talk to them. Um, but that time. For me, comedically, I you know I didn't have negative experience because I used to go like literally I used to go to Spanish churches, Mexican churches, or 
black churches or white yeah. churches. We went to all these places. So my, even though I wasn't talking about being Haitian, just my perspective of the world was broad because my parents had friends from all of the races. Even though I lived in an all-black neighborhood, every activity was always around different races and cultures. So that shaped the way I thought about other cultures. It wasn't necessarily like, fuck the white man or yeah. anything like that. So I wrote those type of jokes. So even as a black comedian, even though I might have been doing stereotypical humor at the time, it still came from a place of honesty in terms of, you know, I don't hate all white people or I don't like I never all my jokes weren't yeah, shitting uh, on white people, you know? You you never struck me malicious at all. Yeah. Even like when you tease somebody, it's, it's all for fun, you know? Yeah. Sometimes there's fuckers in comedy scene like you it's like, well, that sounds a little borderline, you like, know. Like like you mean that shit. Like yeah, you're racist. But they're high yeah. behind the hey, can't you take a joke? And that's the worst thing to say to a comedian. Yeah. But And it's yeah, and it's not about can you take a joke, it's about being you know, yeah, it's about being honest, honest, but it's about also not being ignorant. Yeah. You know, and what I've always tried to do is not be ignorant. So when even when I was working with George Lopez a lot and I would perform in front of all these Latino audiences, mm. you know, I used to really talk about my true experiences with Latinos. I wasn't doing a generic version of what I thought Mexicans were or or what. I saw on TV or what I heard other people said. I had experience. I went to Banning High School in Wilmington. You know what I mean? Oh, I know where that is. You know where that is, yeah, because yeah. you're in the South Bay. I went to Banning, yeah. and my high school is almost all Mexican. Yeah. So my material was genuine and authentic, and I think when Mexicans heard my material, they're, you know, one here's the, here, early on, you know what my goal was? If a white person saw me perform, I'd go, wow, he must really have been around white people. If a Mexican saw me perform, I'm like, oh, he must have really. My shit was <laughs> yeah. authentic. You know yeah. what I mean? That's one thing that's, that I respect about Russell is like when he talks about shit, you know he's experienced it or been around it or really understands the culture. And that's all I think people want. It. Like sometimes I hear black comedians talk about white people. And it's like, dude, you've never been to a white. You, I could tell by your jokes that you've never actually been to a white person's house before i've actually spent time with them i never seen anything like that before with russell that he's the only comedian i know where the audience say how come you didn't make fun of my group yeah that's hilarious yeah absolutely he gets that a lot and like i said it's not even you know my whole thing is i have a I, my i have a story to tell yeah so it ain't even about making fun of any other race it's just about what what my perception is or my perspective is and how maybe that race might have in, might have intersected through my life in some way that comes out in my material. Yeah. Well, so that will lead into that another question I have for how how and when did you meet Russell? Um, I met Russell in two thousand. He was already rich when I met him. Um, I met him at the Laugh Factory, and I got off stage. And he was like, yo, man, you're funny. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. And we started talking. And then we, for some, I don't know how we got on the subject of boxing. <laughs> but, you know what? I was about to tell you. Yeah. Because you, you have a reputation being one of, like, expert. Uh, I love I love yeah. sports. You yeah. know me, dude. Even the show that I'm developing um, uh, has sports influence in it because I, I have a passion for sports. But Russell, Russell who hates team sports, Loves, loves boxing and mixed martial arts and and MMA yeah and I want to learn more about MMA I don't really know anything about MMA and I'm trying to learn because so I have so many friends who are into it I know nothing about it and I'm a huge boxing fan but 
I don't know, me and Russell started talking about boxing and, and music, and I'm a big hip-hop head. You know, I love hip-hop music. And that's how our friendship kind of developed. And then he invited me to his place for a fight, I think, yeah. or to listen to some music. I can't remember, either or, because he told me he DJed. And then I was like, oh, I used to rap back in the day, and I grew up with hip-hop people. You know what I mean? Sure. I have a lot of friends in music. So um, I remember going to his house, and I was like, hey, man, uh, what do you do? He's like, I'm a comedian. I go, I know you're a comedian, but what else do you do? He was like, what do you mean? I was like, this is a nice-ass house. He was like, oh, man. He was like, uh, I, he was like I make a lot of money doing stand-up. I go, no offense, man, but I've never heard of you. And, yeah. and he was like, yeah. Story of his life, you know. Yeah, and he goes, um, yeah, man. He goes, I kind of I, I do stand-up all over the world. I'm kind of big in Canada. I go, you what? Yeah. He was like, yeah. So long story short, we just, I, I, you know, I was fucking busting his balls, making fun of him, like, Dude, no way. You do something else or whatever. But then, um, you know, I did my research and found out about him. And um, he took me to Canada. He was like, hey, man. He's like, I got a couple of dates in Canada. You want to come along? And then my dumb ass, I'm like, when? He was like, next week. And I'm like, dude. In my head, I'm like, I can't afford a fucking ticket one week in advance. Yeah. Are you crazy? And he Russell's like, no. I'll, before I could even say anything, I was thinking that in my head. He goes, don't worry, dude. I'll get you a ticket. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. And um, he's been like the day one with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Day one, and you know, you know how we were saying like phony people. We don't. Yeah. We, whatever. But um, what was what I was gonna say to you earlier is when I, people actually keep their promises and stuff. Oh, that to man. me is more shocking. Like, yeah. Wait, wait. You say something, you actually follow through and went through it. Absolutely. That to me, but that's how shitty it is now. You know because. Somebody actually keeping their word is more surprising. It's more surprising. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, you actually did what you said you were going to do. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing I appreciate about him. So uh, he took me to Canada with him. We only did like, I don't know, three shows or whatever. But it was a shocking was, experience, right? Yeah. Because when he picked me up from the airport, he was like, um, he picked me up from the airport. And I was like, damn, you know, nice car. Yeah. And then he's take, he takes me to the mall. He goes, I just got to warn you. That I'm gonna get mobbed in this mall. I was like, "Yeah, right. <laughs> You're not gonna get. Come on, dude. Like, Wait, you know, do you remember what year it was? I'm, I'm, I'm trying. To I think it was 2007. Okay. 2006, 2007. I, he was already Russell Peters by the time I met yeah. him. He was already popular, and he was like, "No, I'm serious." He was embarrassed. He was like, "No, I'm serious, man." I'm like, "Yeah, right." And we went into the mall, and he got fucking mobbed, and I was like, "Whoa." You know, it kind of blew my mind, and then I went to a show, and it was like, you know, at that time, I don't know, like 3,000 people, 2,000 people at this theater, and I'm like, whoa. Like, it blew my mind. Because in our heads in comedy, we feel like if we don't know the guy and we aren't seeing the guy, then they don't exist. Like, no one, if we don't know who they are. If they don't know them, they actually feel with, like, 200 people in there, that's like, damn. Yeah, That's amazing. Exactly. And he was doing crazy numbers. So we kind of just became friends, but see – like I'm a I'm a genuine dude. Like I I I'm never gonna be friends with somebody based on what they can do for me. And maybe I'd be further along in my career if I had that mentality. If sure. I was just friends with people just to use them to help me. But I don't approach life like that, and I, I refuse to approach my career like that. And me and Russell just became friends because we love music and boxing, and he's a good dude, and and I'm a good dude. So we just became friends, and then it it developed into a more of a 
a working relationship when, you know, because he respected my comedy and what sure. I did. And then, you know, he saw that I was writing for other people and helping other people and kind of, you know, just he just saw my knack for being able to yeah. do things. And, you know, we just began to work together more, man. And I'm I'm grateful for every opportunity I've ever gotten, not just from Russell. I'm grateful for Russell's friendship and the fact that he treats me for respect with, with respect. Yeah. But I am grateful for every opportunity any comedian has ever given me, whether it's Jamie Foxx or D.O. Hughley or Cedric the Entertainer or George Lopez, whether I'm close to those guys now or not, whether the experiences were positive or not. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's all good. And I'm grateful for every opportunity, man, you know, to be able to learn. Because you can learn from people good and bad. You can learn from good experiences and bad experiences. Sure. And I, I learned a lot from everybody I work with, even you know, I even had the opportunity to open up for Bernie Mac, you know, rest in peace. So I've oh, learned what, what from What was everybody. he like? I, I regret never seeing him. Absolutely brilliant. One of the funniest human beings I ever he seen He was only live. 50, right, when he passed away? I think he was a little, I'm, I'm not sure. I, he might have, I think he was over 50 when he passed. Fuck. You know, because he made it later in his career. And I wasn't friends with Bernie. I was just blessed enough to do a show with him, a big show. Yeah. Uh, the promoter. You know, sometimes a promoter have a show and then they would hire the opener. Yeah. So Bernie didn't know who I was and the promoter hired me to do this gig with him in San Diego. And I had a really good show. And then afterwards, he was like, hey, you want to ride back in the limo with me? And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. So I'm in the limo. And he was like, hey, man. You, he was like, you're pretty funny, man. He was like, you're f not pretty funny. He was like, you're a funny guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank you. And he was like, are you going to the after party? And I was like, uh, no. He's like, matter of fact, you're coming to the after party. And I go, really? He's like, yeah, you're coming with me. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, man, you're a part of the show. You should be after at the after party. He was just so gracious. And then um, I love Bernie. When he used to do a show, he was so energetic. He was sweating so much. He get a, he have to get the, handkerchiefs the, the and kind of wipe it. Yeah, yeah. and he's he had a piercing eye, just kind of looking to you. Yeah, and you know what I remember? I I remember him being kind to me. But the best advice I ever got, I'll never forget it. Uh, oh, and he he had his wife with him, and I and his I met his wife, and we're all in the limo together. He he was just awesome. And then we when we got to the meet and greet, he told me to sit right next to him. Yeah, and he made sure I took pictures with everybody too. He was just really cool. But the the one piece of advice he gave me, man, that I never ever forgot, and I really try to do that. He goes, Ruben, whether it's two thousand people, yeah, or two people, right, try to give them try to do the best job that you can sure he's like don't cheat the two people and he told me he used to do rooms when no one used to come out and see him and the clubs would be empty and this etc cetera, etc cetera, man and i've always approached that like a lot of comics complain about late night spots you know me dude i'll, I'll even at this point in my career sometimes i'll get the last spot of the night at the Laugh Factory on a Friday night where I'm going up at 2 a.m. Boy, do I know, because whenever I find, follow you on Twitter or Instagram, whatever, yeah. and you tell me, like, you know, you have three shows that night, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah, it, you have such a, it's so funny, uh, you know, people get kind of jaded after a while, you yeah. know. I don't want to name names, but, like, I, I know a certain comic that makes a lot of money, and uh, they will just bitch about little things. Dude. Like, dude, like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, you're crying about not getting ILC in first class. Yeah, you know, and and you know, I I don't know for me, man. No matter how successful I become, I always want to be grateful. And even now, when Bernie said that to me, just you know, because 
And he I, was very successful at that point, right? He was, yeah. he was, he, he was, you know, making millions of dollars even at that point. Yeah. And I just, for me, even somebody maybe at my level could probably say, "Hey, Jamie, don't put me on the midnight show. I don't want to do the midnight spot." But at the same time, man, you got to be humble and then know that. This is Hollywood, man. Like, everybody doesn't get to perform on the Laugh Factory stage no. or on the Comedy Store stage or the Improv stage. or So you got to be grateful for the opportunity. And sometimes, do I hate doing those late-night spots? Yeah. But when I show up, I change my fucking attitude. I get there and go, you know what? Be, be thankful that you have an opportunity to go on stage and tell jokes. And is the might the crowd be tired and want to go home or whatever? That's not your concern you just go up there and do the best job that you can sure. whether it's two thousand people or whether it's two people and i i'm so grateful for bernie telling me that and as corny as it might, might sound dude like that's how i try to approach it man that's how i always want to be the guy that's why when i when i do certain gigs and they go oh man the crowd is light tonight yeah and then i'll still have a, a great set it's because i'm used to doing that I you know I can leave performing with Russell in front of fifteen thousand people one weekend, and then I'm performing in front of five people at the Laugh Factory at two thirty in the morning. Did you do do you did you watch Louis on FX? Yeah, uh, I love that show. Uh, remember the episode? I don't know what season it is, but Louis was complaining because he was doing some shitty show in casino, uh-huh. and Joan Rivers was doing the big fucking yeah room. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 yeah. But she was in like. I love this, you know, no matter what. Like maybe next year you're doing my room and I'm doing your small room, but it doesn't matter. We're so lucky to be in this business, yes. you know? And like, and Joan River, I know a lot of people fucking hate Leno too. I love Leno. He's, he was so good to Russell. He was good for my friend Jim Norton. Yeah. And he was a hard worker, you know? So um, He worked hard, man. I, I, when, I, when I hear stories like that, it's, it's, it's great. Um, you know, what, when I heard you actually live from L.A., I was a little surprised because you obviously you knew Haitian stuff. So that's why you, yeah. I just kind of thought you're Canadian because you got along with Russell well, oh. you know, because a lot of the um, Haitian or uh, from people from Caribbean and they do work with Russell. They tend to be from Toronto, you know. Like yeah. You, you seem like, wow, you know a lot about America. Oh, obviously, you're yeah. American, <laughs> but, but like, you knew Haitian stuff and um yeah, I'm really happy you met with Russell because I th- I think he can't he doesn't get enough like he really created family with his comedian friends and stuff. You yeah, know? and and the, and the thing is in this business, man, um, there's a lot of guys who are opportunists like we talked about earlier that will be friends with with somebody, and there are guys who try to befriend Russell just so they can get gigs. Sure, and um, that's never been my intent. And Russell will tell you, you know, and I'm not saying. And I'm not knocking anybody who does this, but I've never called and asked Russell for gigs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is this one of those things like, hey, what you're doing? You know what I mean? Or he might go, are you working this weekend? Because Russell's a a type of person who cares about how his friends are doing. Sure. And so if I'm not working or if I don't, he was like, hey, man, you want to come do this gig with me? Or whatever the situation is. he has fun with you. You Yeah, Yeah, we have a good time together. Like it's our friendship is beyond just comedy. You know, we, we laugh. You know, we have, you know, we, we find some of the same things funny. We both like sport. I mean, not sports. I love sports. We both like boxing. We both love hip hop sure. music. Uh, we, you know, I'm, I love, I'm fascinated by DJs and, you know, he has a lot of DJ friends. So, but with Russell, it's, you know, 
being protective as a friend, like I don't care who he has open up for him, and that's to his discretion. I just hope you know he he consistently surrounds himself with genuine people. Like I know you're a very good close friend with him and Rouse and a lot and Von trustworthy, Hagen, yeah. trustworthy yeah, well, people well, well, who who care about him. You know, well, want to well, see him succeed. I'm, I'm, Not that he hasn't already succeeded. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what? You know, funny thing is, if he was greedy. He could make way more money. Yeah, you know he could hire a bunch of people selling merch. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know what I mean. Like, he could. Sell, it's just like, uh, you know, it's just like hassle, or whatever. But um, he could sell more tickets. He could do more dates and whatnot. You know. Yep. He's not a greedy guy. No. You know, and he's very. I mean, very concerned about his friends and families. And um, yeah, I, I. That's why you know, um, I was there that one year when um, um. God damn it! What's his name from Park and Recreation? Um, Aziz. Yeah. Yeah. I I was shocked. He was like all Russell said was young fella. I heard nothing but good things about you. Congratulations! I'm very very happy for you. And this guy just mocked them, you know. Mm. And like, I, I was just stunned. Like, how how could you? Maybe you know to defend uh, Aziz. Uh, to be fair, he might have been high, but even if I'm high, I don't think I would insult somebody saying something like that. But you know what they say about. Like drugs a lot. Well, not all drugs, but especially about alcohol and something. It like reveals that. their true nature. Yep. So I don't know, man. I, I mean, was I, mad at myself for not punching the guy. You know, like I was just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, you know? man. I I just I hate that when yeah. they do that to Russell. It's it's because you know Russell's a good guy, and, and you, we can all have our opinions about everybody and everything. But you, one thing that you, that's not debatable is the type of person that he is. Yeah. You know, he's a good guy. You know he's his generous. Amazing. The, his mom is his great. His mom is, a, and he, he's generous to to the people around him, man. So, you know, there's a lot of sh- shitty people in this business, and it's nice to see a good guy yeah. doing well. You know, and and that's why I work my ass off because, uh, you know, I want to be in the position where I can help my friends and give back to Russell, pay him back for the opportunities mm. he's given me. If I can sell a TV show or or whatever, and have him be a part of it. Like, I would love to, as much gigs as he's given me and you, wouldn't it be awesome to call Russell up and give him a gig? You know what I mean? Uh, it's funny funny you say that, because uh, I, I my friend Yuka worked for Stan Lee, and uh, uh, there might be possibility, because I just texted him yesterday, there might be possibility of um, Rum DNC doing something with uh, Stan Lee's people. Uh-huh. And uh, I asked Russell, like, you, do you want to do a gig with Rum DMC? So, I mean... That'll make me happy to give him something, you know. Of like, course, of you know, course. what do you give a man who has everything? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's the same gag. You yeah. know, he makes fun of how small my eyes are. Yeah. You know, they make, <laughs> start to make him happy, but I'm I'm really happy. He's got a kid. Yeah. You know, he's divorced, but he's getting along with his uh, his uh, ex wife's family. Yeah. He treats everyone well. I, I don't I I know I know uh, you're already a success in my eye. You know you're yeah. you're a decent guy. I I could tell you you got good moral sense and and work ethic from your parents, and uh, um, I I I know the day you feel like uh, all the success that you want to uh, accomplish, and I know you well. I I just wish you your parents were there to see it. You know that's but, yeah. that's that's like one of the only. I don't say I don't have regrets, but that's one of the things that sometimes does make me sad because. Like I see Russell with his mom, you know what I mean, yeah. and and you know how how his success has changed her life, yeah, and his brother's life, 
and the things that he gets to do for his mom and sure. you know the places yeah, she gets casino yeah you know and um I, I wish no especially knowing from the poverty my parents came from sure. how awesome would it have been to how awesome would it have been you buying them a brand new church or something yeah right? you know what i mean or a car yeah. or a house or you know, helping people in Haiti how they probably wanted to do it on the level that they wanted to do. Sure. You know, um, and, and and I'm sure I will do some of that stuff in their name and Absolutely. in their honor. But, um, you know, my sister said one thing to me. She was like, you know what, Ruben? I know the things that you wanted to do for, for mama and daddy, but, you know, my mom wasn't a materialistic person anyway, so she might... You know, if I would probably try to buy her a Rolex watch, she's like, well, I don't want no, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they weren't into that. You know, they were definitely simple people, man. My, my parents are very simple people who loved God and who loved people, you know? And they, and they made a vow when they came to America that they would go back to Haiti every chance they got to bring food and clothes sure. and help the people there. So they, they did that my whole life. And bless guys like Champagne, he's really involved with that place, and yeah. he's working really hard. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I know, uh, I don't know if you have a show, but like, uh, I'll wrap it up. But so, you're, so I want to talk all the exciting things you're working on. I know um, um, you might be possibly working on a TV show. I think something to do with sports, right? Well, I'm. Um, oh, well, if, the, if it's top secret, you don't have to talk about it. It's not top secret, but I'm. Yes, I am uh, working on a project that I'm trying to sell that's based on my life and on things that I'm passionate of. That's where the idea came from. And uh, people seem to like the idea. So now we're developing it and we're going to take it out and, uh, and start shopping it pretty soon. Um, you know, I just did Montreal for the first time this year and that went, went really well. So I've gotten some, uh, ex you know, well-needed exposure in sure. the industry. See, the thing that was great for me with Montreal, even though I've been doing comedy, you know, a long time, it kind of reintroduced me to the industry because, again, I kind of, I didn't fall off the map with in comedy with comedians, but, like, some of the industry people are like, damn, whatever happened to you? You know, yeah. because, like I said, when my parents passed away i kind of ostracized myself a little yeah. bit whether i did it purposely or unknowingly you know so it's kind of cool for people i hadn't seen in a long time to be excited to see me to hear the new material to you know i tell you like, like i said I would, i'm repeating myself but yeah. when i when i saw chris tucker got excited seeing you i think he was with her with his son or yeah he was there with his son yeah yeah it's just like yeah I, I don't, I don't know what was the nature of the relationship. I figure you worked, but he, he looks so genuinely happy to see you. Yeah, he was, because here's the thing, man. You got to understand, and, and I'm I'm not bitter. I have a lot of friends who went on, and, you know, Chris Tucker and a lot of these guys became hugely successful, and I, nobody owes me anything. Like, I don't yeah. – they didn't have to come back and help me or do anything, uh, and, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. Right. So I think – when guys haven't seen me and then I'm not on a TV show and I'm, I'm not, my name is not spoken every day where, so they wonder like, I'm sure there's times like, damn, what was, I wonder what happened to Ruben Paul. And then the thing that made me feel good is for him not seeing me or me, us bumping into each other 
every couple of years. And then he sees now that I was working with Russell Peters, who he knows and who that he means respects. Something. That means something. And then for him to get to see my act and be like, yo, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, man, I haven't seen you do stand up. Like, dude, you are hilarious. Like, he even sent me a text. Like, my son was quoting some of your material. You know what I mean? So that means something to me. Because one thing I tell all comedians, dude, you can't control how famous you're going to be, but you can control how good you are. Yeah. And I just want to be the best comedian I could be. So even though I'm not famous yet, and maybe I'm not a household name yet, but at least I know I'm a good comedian that wants to get better, you know? And I think you probably agree. Uh, you know, just like some of those, sometimes some people get stuff way quicker and maybe deserving, well, exactly. you know, what, whatever, you know, like I, I don't want to point fingers, but, but at the same token, I also think, uh, when I think about guys like Patrice O'Neill, yeah. you know, he died too young, yeah. you know, it just make me sad. Like to, he was just about to blow up. I think, man, it's, it's like this he, elephant in the room. Special. Oh, it was a killer. I like that fucking NFL majority here. Yeah. Since we were talking about New England patron Rams. Yeah. Patrice was literally like, you know, the last play where he's literally one yard away from touchdown yeah, from winning the game. And and here's a guy who's been funny for a long, long time. Long fucking time. And, and all the comedians knew him. But, and, you know, and Patrice sometimes, you know, would say this admittedly. And not that I was super close with Patrice, but I had friends who was close to him. And, and even in interviews, he's talked about like maybe sometimes being his own worst enemy in terms of the industry and what he would wanted to do and wouldn't do or yeah. whatever. But it was nice to see him find his, see him start to find his groove. and It would have happened. If, if, and to, and, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And, and to be excited to where he was going to go because he had a lot of, you know, it's something when other comedians love you as a com- and respect your craft and how good. And he was well, he was a well-respected comedian and a lot was expected. People it could be very difficult as a person. Yeah. Because <laughs> last time I saw him, we got big argument. He was telling me how much he hated Asian people. And we uh, talked about it for three <laughs> hours. And it was making me laugh two-thirds of the time. But, um, uh, but yeah, it made me sad because he, we, uh, you know, that's the one time I worked with him in Arizona. And he said something like, you know, something, 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 because I don't have any Asian friend. Like, what the fuck? I thought, you know, I've been sending you porn for eight years after we were friends. <laughs> and, um, but Patricia always made me laugh because he was so honest. So honest. He was, He'd call you a hack in a second. You know, if you oh, he, he called me useless, racist, filthy hack. <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh. He's, he made, even when he insults you, he's hilarious. <laughs> and I don't want to say he was the best black comic. He was one of the best comic, period. Period. He was one of the best, man. He was one of the best. But, you know, that's the thing, man. I just think I always use a hashtag when I tweet. And yeah. Like, stay the course, man. Yeah. Like, you got to stay the course. And Chris Rock says it a lot. And it's about no matter what your journey is, if you believe in what you're doing, stay the course. Because sooner or later, man, if you're good at what you do and you do the work, you're going to get your opportunity. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for my opportunity, man. And I'm just going to keep working and, and enjoying the journey. Yeah, and and um, um, you know, what can I say? Like, I never met your parents, but like, I could already tell uh, they would have been just wonderful. Oh man, it would have been just wonderful to see them come to the arena and meet Russell and like. Oh man, they yeah. And they my would, father, they would have headed off. My father would have loved Russell. My mom, my mom loved everybody, but my my yeah, my parents were loving people, but my my father 
would I would have hit it off with Russell because my father has a big personality. My mom was quiet, yeah, but my dad had a big personality. But um, I don't know, man. I I want to live a life that kind of honors them. And my friend um spoke at my mom's funeral, and this is touched me. Um, he goes, I never got the opportunity to meet Ruben's parents, mm-hmm. and he said, but I know they must have been good people because he's one of the best people I know. And to me, that's one of the biggest compliment. And I always say this, do I want to be considered, when, when it's all said and done, do I want to be considered one of the funniest people ever? Of course. Do I want to be a big star? Of course. But what's more important than that is to be a good person. Yeah. You know, I want, you know, that's what you want to be remembered by ultimately is what type of person were you, were you how did you treat people? And to me, that's the real testament of a person is how did you treat other people? The jokes and the fame and the fortune and all that is great. And I believe that all that will come. But, you know, I want to be remembered as, you know, a great, talented artist, but also a great person. Uh, That you already accomplished a long time ago. Well, thank you, man. Um, you want to mention your podcast and we'll finish it? Like, because I want them to follow you and listen to your podcast. Well, yeah. my um, Well, you know, we're revamping yeah. now. Um, and Yoshi can see the the new equipment that I just bought. And uh, my uh, podcast is uh, called The Best of Everything. Yeah. And uh, you'll be hearing you about by yourself it real, real soon. I have a partner named, uh, partner named Gerard Guillory. My co- uh, Gerard, I'm sorry, Guillory, who's my uh, co-host. And um, we'll be, but you can find out the information through my website, RubenPaul.com. You can follow me on Twitter, I am Ruben Paul. Uh, on uh, Instagram, I am Ruben Paul. And, um, you know, I'll be promoting and advertising my podcast so people will be able to hear it and follow me and, you know, see what I'm doing and see all the projects and stuff that I'll have coming up in the near future. And, and chances are, if you ever go see Russell Peters, you, most likely you'll probably see uh, Ruben one of the show. Yeah. And uh, he's very easy, to, uh, you know, easy guy to walk up to, talk to, and, uh, yeah. you know, come on down. and um, Come say hi, man. If you see me in public, come say hi. You know, I, I love meeting new people. That's one thing that's awesome about traveling internationally and being in places like Shanghai or Beijing. Oh, or oh Hong sorry. Kong. Maybe, maybe I do want to hear that. Okay, look, this last uh, <laughs> Okay. The, 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 the international travel, like the first couple of times when you did it. Yeah. Were you, were you anything that shocked you when you went to Asia or? Uh, you know what? I was. Uh, to be honest, um, first time I went to Hong Kong, um, that kind of opened up the international market for me. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, aside from working with Russell, um, I was nervous, man, because I didn't know who I'd be performing in front of. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, all the... He was a kid from South Central LA, for yeah, God's yeah. sake. From, from Carson, from, Carson. South, from the South Bay. And I was, I'd be like, yo, God, oh, are I they... I in Carson for summer of 85. Are you dead? Yeah. I, le- I grew up in Delamo. I grew up, all, I grew up on 190th and Wilmington. I don't think you were that far from me because I live in Long Beach for like... Oh, okay, so it wasn't Carson. It, I live in Long Beach for like a month and a half, two months. Then uh-huh. we moved to Carson for like two years and because my aunt had a bar across from Torrance High, I was sneaking to the Torrance High from Carson. Oh really? I have to take a bus or just literally like walk over there. And uh I was illegal alien too. So this is all, I'm doing two things wrong. I'm illegal <laughs> alien to USA and I'm sneaking to different school districts. That's hilarious. Yeah, um I yeah I grew up on hundred ninetieth and Wilmington but when I went to when I went to Asia I think 
I just learned a lot about the cultures and and the things that. I mean, you, how can I say, man? I, I'm a, I'm a lot of person who do, who tries not to have a lot of preconceived notions about yeah. people, so I went in open minded. But you know, I learned a lot about the culture. And did you say Patrice was right? No, but you know what, man? What's what's interesting? Like in the black community in America, like blacks and Koreans have a lot of problems. Yeah. And even when I went to Korea, and I was like, wow, these people are so, are so nice. Maybe they're nice because we were in their country, but I don't think. It wasn't like the same like racial tension that was, you know. I don't want to point finger because, because even though I have Japanese name, I'm ethnically Korean. Yes, I know and, that. Yeah. And then um, um, it's it's not like when people go inner cities, it's not like they're coming here to become lawyer and doctors, you know. Yeah. So they probably come from really hard position, you know. Maybe they're desperate, yeah. you know. So maybe they're not the most sophisticated bunch maybe they base black people's behavior by all the movies and you know how Ab- biased fucking hollywood movies absolutely like are. Yeah. so maybe they have that's pre- exactly it that's that i agree with what you're saying a hundred percent and this is not to point a finger at people but it always make me laugh going back to that whole raiders thing yeah with uh you know danger of listening to hip-hop music anyone <laughs> who anyone who listened to like richard wagner's music which influenced hitler yeah that shit killed millions of people literally <laughs> yeah you know what i yeah. mean and whereas hip-hop yes it's sad it, it does happen but we're not talking millions of people getting killed for you know yeah so there's a exaggeration of dangers and stuff you know i mean yeah. historically who's been more dangerous to whom yeah I, let's be honest mostly white people and black people though if you're being honest yeah slavery and shit so you, you know so when you when you talk about performing internationally the thing that really opened was the all the expats and those are the audiences that you're performing yeah. in front of so you're performing in front of people from you know australia and south africa and canada and you know and ireland and scotland and all these people are in your audience so even being in asia i learned a lot about the world because after the shows you talk to somebody go where are you from and they're like oh i'm from ireland what are you doing in shanghai oh i'm here teaching or i'm here you know whatever business so you meet all these different types of people and it really broadened my perspective of the world and it's helped me I think develop a following in different parts of the world because Isn't my name is spread. Yeah, yeah. Because if somebody told you like ten, fifteen years ago, like you have fans in like Finland, yeah, or you know Hong was, Kong, like you know, you probably say stop yeah, smoking. Whatever, exactly, like yeah. whatever. Yeah. And uh, you, you want to hear a great story, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was at the Laugh Factory, Asian dude in front. Um. I say something, and he goes. I go, what are you doing here? He goes, I came to see you. And I just started laughing. I just started fucking with him. I go, you came to see me? He's like, yeah. I saw you in Shanghai. What? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I saw you in Shanghai. Me and my girlfriend are here. They were here for like a conference slash vacation. And they saw that I was going to be at the Laugh Factory. And they came to the Laugh Factory. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? From Shanghai and came to see me in Hollywood. And then at the end, of, at the end of the night, he was like, "Man, you know, great job. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you in, when you come back to Shanghai, because I'm, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm working on. Here's something this year. Uh, um, I might be shooting uh, a special in, in Shanghai next year. <laughs> what? So, wait, wait, why? 
that's awesome. I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm all, I'm already put. I if if, if, <laughs> I, if I if I could put, buy a stock in that project, yeah. I, I already like the idea of it. But but obviously it's for expats, right, in Shanghai. Yeah, well that's that's what would be the majority of the audience. Yeah. But there's locals that come to the show also that speak English. You know, um, you know because you know you know I I don't know what you as well as Russell, but like I I gotta tell you I I don't know where I saw this picture, but like when I saw a picture of you like you know like two three four years ago like going by yourself to um, Asia like I, I love that I, yeah. I, I just love you know growing up in Japan everybody looks same think the same I just love America where you mingle with all kinds of people that don't even look like that yeah. I fucking love that shit you know? I, and that and that is what's challenging man when you go to some of these countries yeah. like there's places in, Ch in China and in mainland China that I went to like Wuxi or Nanjing yeah. or some of these other cities where you're the only black person sure you know walking around and you know people you know and people don't see a lot of black people or even a lot of white people there's some places in china that they freak out when they see white people yeah you know because it's all just chinese so i love meeting and interacting with people and breaking down stereotypes and i think that's really shaped my comedy a lot too because that's what a lot of my comedy is about is just learning and not assuming things about people and not putting people in the box yeah. that as human beings are all different and unique when i was a little kid when we saw the first white people in my neighborhood in japan yeah. i couldn't believe it you know and as a kid when they weren't looking i ran up and touched their hand and ran away yeah and uh when, when i was in hawaii the first time 1979 <laughs> the first black person i saw he was like working i just went to touch his elbow i don't know why i always touch the elbow but like yeah. I couldn't believe there's really because you you know you all you see is people who look like you Yo, you know I would walk down the streets in China and p the people run up to me go, you know oh, they want to take pictures they want to yeah. take pictures yeah. with, you know what I mean so they <laughs> they would come and ask to take a picture and you know they're yeah. doing the peace sign and I I remember I met this critic was she Korean I think she might have been a Korean lady you'll get a kick out of this dude she told me before she came to America that she was told that black people had tails. Why? Like tails, like animal who, tails. Who told her that? She did. So she was. That's. They had put all this fear and all these negative things, and she yeah. was like, you know, a lot of people. She she believed like, you know, she believed all this ridiculous, negative stereotypes, and to the point where they literally told her we were animals, like we had tails. It's like you sure you went not meaning our dicks mm -hmm. are that big, or you know, but she she meant literally like a tail, like a a monkey or yeah. an animal, and it's just so sad. So, you know, a good thing about me performing internationally is I give those audiences a good chance, uh, yeah, yeah a, a different impression of what they might have seen sure. in movies or whatever place they got their information. I give them a different. A different perspective, but I hope you do in Shanghai because it's it's going to be such a different show now. That's that's um, that's the that's the goal and that's what we're working on doing. And uh, uh, I came up with the idea um, a year ago, and uh, I'm talking with some people over there, me and my manager, and we're gonna try to make it happen. I've and I'm telling you this, I haven't even talked to Russell about it. Yet. Oh man, this is fantastic because what was the uh, album by NWA? Like it's gonna take a million to stop. Uh, 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 it's gonna take a nation million to stop. Hold us back. You could, you're, it's gonna take a nation billion to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you're in China. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see. There's a lot of things to. There's a lot of obstacles to. Not a lot of obstacles. There's just a couple of obstacles to get over. But um, 
that's the goal, man. Um, to to shoot it next year. Oh yeah, I I'm all I'm all hundred percent in this project. In, yeah, in, in Bay, uh, Shanghai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 what that's some of the things that I've been working on. So I've just been working my ass off, Yoshi. Just trying to do as many yeah shows that I can whenever I can, and uh, trying to write and develop a show, and then trying to get this special done, and then trying to develop projects not only for me but for my friends also. That's so, cause so we could all work and live good lives, man. You know, and, and, and not that we're not living a good life, but just you know, yeah. It, I'm sure it'd be for, uh, great for Russell if all of us was just as rich as he was. Yeah, <laughs> you it, know, it, like, he'd want to see that. I'm sure. And he's one of the few guys. Well, like he will say this stuff. Like uh, he he does this to me every time. He's like, oh, Yoshi, can you help me? Some my arm hurts. Can you? This is really heavy. And like, he he would drop a check, a check or something. Right? I have yeah. to pick it up. You know, whatever it is, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars, or whatever. Yeah. And then, he's not <laughs> trying to mock you being poor. He's trying to motivate. So he wants you to have a good life. Absolutely. And work really hard. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, we we all love this guy because he really is exactly the way he is on stage, off the stage. Yeah. And yeah. there's other comics very successful, but they're assholes. Yeah. They're just motherfuckers, man. Dude. Yes. Uh, trust me. Yes, and, um, I know firsthand. <laughs> Ruben, thanks, thanks for doing this. Uh, um, Anytime, I'm, I'm brother. Glad. We've been talking about doing this for a while, man. And uh, I'm gonna have you on my podcast, man. And and, and I know you have easier time convincing Russell to do your podcast. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I'll do it. And like, you know, next thing you know, he's not there. So, but. <laughs> Has he done your podcast yet? No, he's <laughs> he's always teasing. He's always teasing me. He's like, okay, I'm ready. He, it, it, of course, he said that when I don't want my equipment with me, you know. But yeah, it's it's all joke. But uh, no, he, he he'll uh, do it. You just got to, you know what you got to do. You just got to go over to the house if I can just, you know, pull out the microphone. But like, dude, we're doing this right now. I, it's so weird to do that. He, but he'll do it. That's how what you got to do. I'm telling you. I know him very well, brother. Well, I, I I hope you you get him on your show. In fact, even maybe even the first episode because talk you know give a big bang to your episodes. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, the, well, the, I have the equipment now, so yeah. he has to do the damn show. You know, um, this well, shit was expensive. Well, last thing, what's your uh, did you already talk about? Did you say your Twitter? I'll tell again? my Twitter again. Is I am Ruben Paul, and Ruben is spelled R U B E N. I am Ruben Paul. And uh, that's same as my Instagram. But if you don't even remember, I am Ruben Paul and all that stuff. You can go to my website, and then it will send you to all my social media and all that stuff. Cool. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you doing this. I'm really excited. I'm really excited about the China. I mean, that's a that's a very smart move on your part. Thank that's you, a, man. I I, I uh, think so. Yeah. Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening, and uh, please contact Ruben. Uh, if you have a question for you, uh, for him, or uh, just check out his website and check him out, check out his comedy because. He really is beloved uh, 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 performer among uh, Russell Peters fan base, and uh, yeah, you should check him out. So thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.